What's up, Fusion? Every week, I say, what's up, Fusion? And then you guys give a little weak one, and then I'll be like, I need more energy than that. So I need more energy than that. What's up, Fusion? There we go. Much better. I th Yeah, see, squad? I think Erskine was right. I think people were cold. It's been a long day. So can you all stand up right now, please? Stand up. I'm not going to make you do too much. I need one hand on one shoulder, one hand on the other, and just that right there. Hey. <laughs> you may be seated. Do you feel loosened up? Has it been a good day, though? Is anybody happy to be alive? See? Not everybody got that opportunity today. This is a blessing. All right. Here at Victory over this past weekend, in case this is your first time here and you're not familiar with what Fusion is, we are the young adult ministry of Victory World Church. How many people in here actually attend on the weekends? Okay, a good amount of you. Some of you guys don't. Well, we've been in a series in our big church called Sex, Love, and Money. Anybody enjoy that series? Good. Well, we've been in that series, and they've given some amazing messages about each of these subjects. And just this past weekend, Pastor Johnson was here at the Norcross location discussing one of my favorite subjects and a constant theme throughout the Bible, love. Does anybody love love? You're supposed to because you're Christians. That's one of the main things we're supposed to do is love. But he was talking about it from the perspective of the Hebrew word ahava, which is a specific type of love. And it's a love that's not about feeling. It's a love that's defined by action. But that's not what we see a lot. That's not what we hear about. When we hear the word love, a lot of times we think about what culture defines as love. And it's normally some like intangible feeling. It's just this thing people say you can't describe it. It's, you can't touch it. You can't even put it into words. It's this feeling. Google actually describes it as a deep, let me make sure I quote this correctly, an intense feeling of deep affection. That's what Google defines love as. So it's no surprise that when that society gets up in, in an uproar whenever there's any talk about love, whenever there's any talk about limiting love, because we have this natural relation to emotions and feelings. We can empathize with how uncontrollable feelings are. So we say, you can't control feelings, so how could you try to accept certain feelings and not accept other feelings? That doesn't make sense. Interestingly enough, the Bible talks about love a little bit differently than Google does and the English language does. And we're actually starting a new series tonight. It's entitled Community. And it's actually centered on the concept of love, but not love as we know it. And I only said love because just like when people are trans were translating the Bible into English, it's the best word to describe 
what's said in scripture, but it doesn't have the same definition in English that it does in the other languages. So the Old Testament was initially written in Hebrew, and that's the original language of the Old Testament. The New Testament, what we read, is translated from Greek. And in Greek, it's a different word used. And the scripture that we're focusing on for this series is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is Jesus talking. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he's saying the law and the prophets, which is the Hebrew Bible, 39 books, all hang on these two things. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what's he talking about? Is he saying to have an intense feeling of deep affection for God and have an intense feeling of deep affection for your neighbor? Short answer is no. That's not what he's saying. The word used here is not the word love, how Jesus said it. He actually said the word agape. And agape, the interesting thing about it is it originated in Scripture. This is not a word that was in the Greek language outside of Christianity. So there is no context for it except for from God. This is a word that was created by, defined by, and embodied by Jesus Christ. So due to its origin in Scripture, the only way to gain clarity on what agape really is is by exploring Scripture. So Jesus said, agape the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he said, agape your neighbor as yourself. How many of you guys know how to agape? It's not something we're familiar with. It's not an English word. It's a Greek word. But when we're reading these things, we automatically associate it with the word that we know. And that's why we get confused all the time when we read scripture because there are certain things that from language to language, they don't always mean exactly in the English what was meant before then. So that's why it's good to Google stuff. I use a tool uh, on BibleHub.com. I just click on interlinear, and it gives original words for each thing, and you could just click it. It gives definitions. It makes it really easy to understand scripture. So there is a tidbit on how to define it, on how to learn those things. But agape, God has to define this for us. We cannot come up with our own definition. We cannot just come up with our own understanding. It is not natural to us. So 1 Corinthians 13 defines it this way. Paul is speaking and he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have agape, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have agape, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have agape, I gain nothing. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's very different than how we operate naturally. Do you guys agree? That brings us to the first point of the night. We're looking at four truths about agape for each other, agape for your neighbor. The first point of the night is agape is not instinctive. It is learned behavior. We have to read scripture. We have to become acquainted with God to understand what agape is. Deep feelings of affection are instinctive. People feel things instinctively. But that's love. So love is instinctive. Agape is not instinctive. In fact, it goes against all of our natural instincts. Because all of our natural instincts lead us to self-preservation. We're naturally wired to preserve ourselves, to protect ourselves, to not be vulnerable. Agape causes us to step outside of that and to go completely against how we are wired. We do not know agape by nature. We only become familiar with agape as we become familiar with God himself. John puts it this way in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. He says, dear friends, let us agape one another, for agape comes from God. Everyone who agapes has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not agape does not know God, because God is agape. This is how God showed his agape among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning, simply put, it's A-T-O-N-E. It put us at one with God. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If we agape one another, God lives in us and his agape is made complete in us. So in this series about community, what does that look like for your neighbor? The whole heart of this series is to bring us closer as a family. As a team, we were discussing how do we want to land this year? What do we want for fusion as we close out the year? And we all agreed that we want to end this year 
closer than we've ever been. And we wanted to put the greatest commandments first and foremost in our ministry, and that's love God. And that was kind of the heart behind the black and white series. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Make a choice and commit. And then this series, Community, is to love your neighbor as yourself. But it doesn't come natural to us. That's why we need to dive into scripture. That's why we're reading the Bible a whole lot tonight. Because we, we don't have a lot of cultural references to define what God is calling us to do. All we have is his word. And we have to prioritize that. We have to explore that. We have to dig into that to understand what he's calling us to do and who he's calling us to be. And so for us as the church, the clearest picture we have for the agape God desires for us to have for one another is in Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day... The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This was a group of people who were responding to God's love with action. Everything that we just read was actions on their behalf. They were meeting together. They were sharing. They were giving themselves to the apostles' teaching. Action is what defined the love that they had for each other. I believe that what keeps us from looking this way is very, very, very simple. It's uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. Selling your property, getting the money from selling your property and giving it to people in need. Where do we see that? It's rare. I can't think of many instances where I've seen it. This has been one of the most convicting messages for me to write because I don't live like this. Most of us don't. I serve. I feel like I'm a pretty generous person. I'm a pretty giving person. I give my time, money, all those things, but not to this level. Not like they did. Not like God has really called us to. And I think a lot of us are just unfamiliar with it because we haven't really seen it. We are trained in this culture to be comfortable. We have consumer mindsets. We shop for churches. We don't view ourselves as the church a lot of times. We go and look for a church that has the music that we like, preaching that we like, uh, coffee, <laughs> like all these things. 
and we just shop around and bounce around until we find something that serves us best. And it's, it's what we're used to and it's normal in our society, in our culture. That's not what that looked like at all. That was just people getting together in response to the gospel and living how Jesus lived. And it brings us to our second point, that you and I are not called to pursue comfort, but to carry a cross. You might be asking, what does the cross have to do with this? What does it have to do with agape? Well, I would argue that their community came as a response to the cross. Before we saw them doing all this, it was the day of Pentecost, less than two months after the resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves on a group of people who were gathering. They start speaking in tongues. All this cool stuff starts happening, and people believed in God. And then Peter stood up and said, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as well you know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Down to verse 37, their response. Peter's word pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. These people were only 53 days removed from the crucifixion of Jesus. They knew that what Peter was saying was not like, oh, Jesus came down and, and he gave some good teachings and he was a great prophet and now he's in heaven and now we should follow him. He reminded them of the crucifixion. And because in their culture they were familiar with what crucifixion actually was, and it had just happened, so a lot of them had witnessed it. They saw what Jesus went through, and then they learned why he did it for them. Bloodied, beaten beyond recognition, tortured for hours and hours and hours just to have relationship with them. And then we see their response to it. Their response was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, to prayer. They devoted themselves to a lot of uncomfortable stuff 
after learning how Jesus loved them. They witnessed what agape truly looked like from God, and they responded with agape for one another. 1 John 4.19 says, we love each other because he loved us first. And that's what that looks like. So could it be that our distance from the reality of the cross is what leads to our distance from each other? Could it be that we're so unfamiliar with what Jesus actually did, what he actually taught, what he actually stood for, that we just don't even know how to live like he's called us to live. We're not familiar with crucifixion. We don't know the sacrifice that he made. We don't truly understand that, but we can. The more acquainted with him we become, the more acquainted with love we become. And that's all he's calling us to do. He'll teach us, he'll show us, he's already shown us, he's already modeled it for us, but we have to go to him. So many of us are looking for love. So many of us are pursuing love. So many of us want to feel loved, but we have not truly experienced agape. That's what we were designed for. Scripture says that God is agape. It doesn't say that God is an intense feeling of deep affection. It says that God is agape. God is patient. God is kind. He's not self-seeking. He does not boast, does not envy. He models all these things out for us. And it's hard to extend that type of action to another person when you haven't witnessed it for yourself. But when you understand the reality of what Jesus does for us, it empowers us to actually live that out for other people. It's hard for me to hold grudges against people. It's hard for me to be comfortable with not being patient with people when I am familiar with the patience that Jesus has with me and the lengths that he went to just to have relationship with me. How could I not extend that to my brother, to my sister? This is what he's called us to. This is what he's called us to because it's his priority. And because it's his priority, it's also the enemy's priority. Point three is our unity is the biggest threat the devil faces. The biggest one. So he attacks it vigilantly. In Genesis, there's a story about people building a tower. They decided that they wanted to build a tower all the way up to heaven and actually started doing it. God came down. This was so serious. They were actually accomplishing this so seriously that God came out of heaven, came down to earth and said, look, the people are united. And they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. If there are two kingdoms, you have the kingdom of God, and then you have the kingdom of Satan. 
And Jesus says that a kingdom divided, divided against itself cannot stand. And one kingdom wants the other kingdom to lose. What do you think it's going to attack? Unity. Because with unity, nothing can stop you. That's why God says where two or three are gathered. Because it's unity. Two are better than one. Unity. Unity implies more than one party. Anything else is just singularity. But unity is what's powerful. Unity is what the devil is attacking because it's what's going to advance the kingdom of God here. And we, especially as just the American church, as millennials, we are, and as human beings, we're just so selfish. <laughs> we don't think about the bigger cause a lot of times. So many times we're so wrapped up in what we have going on. I'm so wrapped up in what I have going on that I'm not thinking about the advancement of the kingdom of God. I'm just thinking about God, I need this. And that's how so many of us operate. And so the enemy knows that. So he's like, cool, you go ahead and have your relationship with God. Just don't have a relationship with her. Don't have a relationship with him. Isolate yourself. Don't trust people. Get church hurt. He's coming after us. Paul says that we are not ignorant of his devices. But the reality is a lot of us are. We don't even see the blows that are coming. We think it's normal. Me and Jesus. That's it. And we're good. I'm going to heaven. That's our mindset a lot of times. When God has called us to be one, Jesus said in John 17, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He didn't use the short time that he had before going to the cross to pray for even peace for us. He didn't use it to pray for us all to find spouses, even for our healing. All of those things are good. They're within the will of God. There's nothing wrong with them. But he had a priority in that moment before going through the most difficult experience he would experience. What he chose to pray to God was that after he's done with this and is victorious and overcomes, he didn't say, may they all be saved. He didn't say just, may they all go to heaven. That's in there. He says he wants us to be there with him. But more than anything, he prays for our unity. And then he says that that's how the world is even going to believe that the father sent him. And so many times we're looking for ways to evangelize. 
We're looking for new missions to do. We're looking for a way to evangelize to our coworkers, to make the gospel make sense to people. I'll tell you right now, the gospel does not make sense. It doesn't. There's no mental assent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It sounds crazy. So he knew, I don't want people sitting around debating with people on Facebook to convert them. I know that if these people will just agape one another, something that the world has never seen before because the word didn't even exist. He needed a new word to describe what he was even saying that he did, even saying that he's calling us to do. If they could just understand this concept of agape and experience this with one another, the world is going to see the uniqueness in that. And we are all wired to want that. It's foundational. Thank you for your one clap. <laughs> but we're wired to want that. It's foundational. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is a hierarchy of psychological needs that we have, in the middle, love and a sense of belonging is foundational before we can actually get to success and flourishing. We're all looking for it. So Jesus says, well, if the world sees that the church has that, that's when they'll believe in me. Because that's hard to believe. Me loving you for real, for real, so much that I'll sell my property, so much that I'd lay my life down for you, that's hard to believe. That's something I would come and want to find out what's going on there. Having coffee in the lobby, eh. Loving each other, actually being like real friends, that's tough, especially in our culture. We have so many social media associates, but few deep friendships. And then Jesus calls us to have deep friendship with people we don't even know. Like, not because I like you, not because you're super cool, but just because you're also a believer in Jesus. Not because you deserve it, not because I deserve it. None of it is based on or predicated on your actions or behaviors. It's all, oh, you're, you're my brother because of what Jesus did for us. And I know what he did on the cross how he modeled what love really is. He said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for their friends. Where do we see that out here? Where do we see that in our generation? If we are actually going to be a light in a dark place, if we are going to be the salt of the earth that has a flavor, something distinct, something noticeable, it all comes through the greatest command to love God and to love each other as ourselves. But one of the most difficult things to overcome in actually doing that is the pain 
that sometimes comes along with being in relationships. How many of you know that friendships, relationships, interactions with people can just be painful sometimes? How many of you, be honest, have ever experienced pain from an interaction with people and it made you not want to interact with people anymore? It's real. Because that's what's natural to us, self-preservation, instinct. And when we don't have a deep, intense feeling of affection for somebody anymore, we just remove ourselves from the situation. But that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to agape, to commitment. The disciples were not completely acquainted with agape before meeting Jesus. So they just asked him questions. In Matthew 18, Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Like seven times? Jesus replied, mind you, Peter, if you're familiar with Peter, the disciple, he was asking this and he was asking it in that way because he thought the answer was impressive. Like, oh, yes, yes, Peter, seven times. That's, that's holy. Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And in that context, we believe that to mean he actually meant in a day. Not like ever. So you can count out <laughs> like 1,400 times ever and you stop. Like, all right. It's hard for somebody to offend you that many times in one day. But Jesus is saying, even if they do, that's how many times you forgive them. And then he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared We can skip over stuff like that. Peter asks him, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? He tells him how many, and then he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, reminding him, like, whoop, perspective. Align your perspective. The kingdom of heaven is what we need to be focused on and acquainted with. He says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. He didn't even say, all right, I'm going to give you more time to pay it off. He forgave the debt, cleared the man's name because of the compassion that he had for him. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars after being forgiven for a few million. He grabbed him by the throat, yoked him up. And demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. 
Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. It's probably hard to pay a debt while you're being tortured. FYI. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. We respond to the love, to the forgiveness, to the grace of God with love, forgiveness, and grace for one another. And it's a reasonable request. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. Meaning if you have wisdom, it will bring patience. A wise person has patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to your glory to overlook an offense. It is smiled upon by Jesus when you extend the grace that he has extended to you to other people. Because our unity is the biggest threat that the enemy faces, and he is going to attack us by trying to divide us in every way. We see it in the church. We're divided in so many ways. Race, denominations, uh, all types of stuff, social class, all these things. And then in our individual churches, we're divided by a lack of trust for one another. So we show up. We might even volunteer Oh, but I'm not telling you my business. <laughs> nah. We, a lot of times, are missing, and I say we because you and I, me included, I miss this agape piece, this actual laying down of my life to the degree that Jesus has called us to. But what if we actually lived like that, what would the world look like? Jesus said that the world would know that we're his disciples. Jesus said that the world would believe in him if we just loved each other, if we didn't just rush out of service to go home, if we didn't get here late so that we didn't have to talk to anybody, slide into worship while it's dark. If we didn't dip out on small group night. Okay. If we went to small groups in people's homes. Okay. If we loved the community around us as a body. One person going out here trying to love people, that's amazing. I love that you're evangelistic. But the greatest form of evangelism, according to Jesus, is our love for each other. 
and not our affection for each other, our agape for each other, when we're patient with each other, when we're kind to one another, when we're not self-seeking, when we don't envy, when we always trust. But that's hard to do because like we said in the beginning, it goes against everything that's natural to us. So how do we do it? Point four, the unity God desires is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to do it. That's the piece before Peter even preached to the Acts 2 churches. The Holy Spirit came upon them with fire. Jesus baptizes with fire. John said that I baptize you with water, but one comes after me who will baptize you with fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that a lot of times we think that unity is supposed to look like a puzzle where all of the pieces, we all just fit together so perfectly. My gifts just fit in over here so perfectly. And that's how our relationships are supposed to look. I just compliment you so well and you just compliment me so well and we just fit together like a little puzzle. But I would argue that the unity that God desires is more like a welding process where fire makes two pieces malleable enough to come together into one through heat, through pressure. As a matter of fact, we have a video that shows you what welding looks like. Let's roll the video. Welding, we take two distinct materials, two distinct objects. Through the addition of heat, we create a molten pool of metal into which we add a filler rod. The resulting product is no longer two distinct pieces, but one homogeneous unit. Okay? This piece of material can now then be cut, bent, or manipulated uh, in any way that one would wish. Uh, it's not like you've added a third material that needs to be treated differently. There are different kinds of welding. Uh, we and our filler material. And you can actually see that molten pool of metal forming as we move along with the filler rod completing the operation. You can clap it up. <laughs> but I truly believe that that is the type of unity. That's not a pretty, I don't even know what that thing was. It was ugly. But I'm sure it was functional. And that was the goal. Two of those pieces put together with the rod, the filler rod in the middle, were better than the pieces separate. It had to undergo the fire and put something in between it. And I believe that that's what God is calling us to do. He baptizes us with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And that's what, it, that's what empowers us to even come together because it's against all of our instincts, everything that's natural to us, everything that's comfortable to us, all of our natural desires. It comes against that. 
And with that fire that he covers us with, he inserts himself in the middle as the filling rod and stays there permanently to hold us together. And this is how our relationships have to look. There's no other way to accomplish what Jesus Christ said that he wants us to be. So I want to pray for all of us. I want all of us to just take some time right now to just think about what this would actually look like in our own lives. How could you be more one, be more united, be more joined with the people around you? And think about what type of effect that could have on your life, on their life, and on the people who might even witness it, the people who you can then invite. I really believe that more than inviting people to hear a message here, it will be much more appealing to invite people to a community of people that agapes one another, that has true friendship, true love for each other. And when you offer that opportunity to somebody, that, hey, there's a place over in Norcross where they just love each other. And I love being there. And if you want that, come check it out. I believe that's what God is calling us to as the church. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, Father, we thank you that you agape us first. We thank you that you have defined love because you created love. You are love. Father, help us to submit our perspective to you, the God who created us. Lord, help us, empower us to live out the call that you've actually called us to live, that you have not simply called us to a life of holiness for you, God, but also to oneness and unity with the people around us. Lord, help us, help me to live that out. It sounds good, but it's not easy to live. So Father, by your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, knit us together, weld us together, let us embrace the conflict that is inevitable in relationships and understand that it is by that friction, by that pressure, that that's what draws us closer together. That's what true agape is. That love that never overcomes anything is not true love. Lord, help us to understand that deeply. That the love you've called us to is victorious over the attacks against it. That it's powerful to be patient when it's hard to be patient. That it's powerful to be kind when it's hard to be kind. And you give us the power to do it and you've modeled it for us. So Lord, I thank you for that and I ask that you would just bring that to fusion in Jesus' name. And everybody said...